My name is Brian White. I am so glad that you're here this morning. Um, before we start, I do want to uh, just a particular um, thank you. Uh, yesterday, we, we have a group, um, it's called Upward Code, and, and we kind of uh, look at homes in the area who, um, largely with the support of code enforcement, who maybe uh, someone who just can't quite take care of their place and so every month they're going out and, and helping with um, just a variety of different projects in people's homes. And yesterday, uh, they used my parents' new place. Mom and dad moved the last couple weeks. Um, and they used their, uh, their home as kind of a model to build an accessible ramp coming in. And I just appreciate so much all of you who went out and helped. But also, um, there's dad. And I just... It was a huge, tremendous blessing, just a tremendous blessing for us as a family, and I just thank you so much for doing that. This is actually a different group. They were at a different location uh, doing some, some yard work and some cleanup as well, and I just, it's a neat ministry, and I'm excited about the future. It seems like we're really um, kind of going into a whole new phase with that, and uh, just what an awesome opportunity for us. Um, we're in the midst of this sermon series on the book of Daniel. We've been going through the first half of Daniel. I think we're going to come back to the second half uh, a little bit later in the year. Uh, but we, we, Daniel, I think, is such an important book for us to study. It was written in a, a very unique time in Israel's history, a time called the Babylonian exile. And Babylon came in and they just destroyed Jerusalem. They invaded Judah. They, um, they, they butchered the population, but then they carted off those uh, who, who they didn't kill. And they dispersed them. The, the term is diaspora. It's like a term for uh, dispersing seed, actually. And they dispersed God's children among the Babylonian empire. And, and the goal was not just relocating the Jews, but they really wanted to break down their sense of nationalism and over a, a generation or so, if they forced them to intermarry, they forced them to take on the customs and uh, forced them to use their language, they knew that they would just assimilate into the greater population. And so that was the goal, intentional assimilation to make them into Babylonians. Uh, and, and it was a horrible time for the Jewish tradition. And the point is, Daniel has so much to teach us today. If we think of Babylon not as a historical nation and experience, but more as a concept and a metaphor. Because we are foreigners living in a foreign land. This is not our home. We are residents of King Jesus' kingdom. And Babylon is actively trying to make us in their image. But like Daniel and his friends, we can thrive in the midst of a very, very hostile world. So today we're going to look at Daniel chapter 5. When I initially outlined this series, we're going to look at, at juxtapose chapter 4 and chapter 5. There's two different kings, and, and there was just so much material, I decided we're going to just split this in two. But the point is, about 30 years has happened since Daniel chapter 4. We're entering into chapter 5. And, and that 30 years was just absolutely packed. A lot happened in these 30 years. I won't go into details. It's, it's fascinating if you want to do some work on your own. But King Nebuchadnezzar, who's been the king so far, he died in 562 B.C. 
And there were four very short monarchies in this 30-year period until King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, King Belshazzar, Belshazzar um, he took the throne. And King Belshazzar was the last Babylonian king, is the point. And Daniel chapter 5 takes place on the last day of his monarchy. The last day. And, and what's even more fascinating is we know the exact day. It was October 12, 539 B.C. And we know a lot about October 12, 539 B.C. So the Medo-Persian army had surrounded the capital city of Babylon. And the king did not care, is the point. He wasn't worried at all about this powerful army that encircled his city outside the walls. It didn't bother him. He didn't really care. The capital city was fortified. I mean, these huge, multiple you know, walls, some of them are over 300 feet tall, we're told. There were guard towers strategically placed all over, massive, impenetrable gates. The river Euphrates, uh, it, it just ran through the city, so they had plenty of water. Uh, they, they were set. And they had 20 years' worth of food stocked up. The entire population could feed for 20 years with what they had on store. So he thought they were untouchable. He wasn't worried at all what was going outside the gates. He really didn't care. So what did he do on October 12, 539 B.C.? He threw a massive party. And we're going to find King Belshazzar is like the poster child for Proverbs 39.1, or 29.1, excuse me, which reads, One who is often reproved yet remains stubborn, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. The king was so sure he was safe. He was completely protected from harm. He didn't care what was going on. He was going to do whatever he wanted. Now you remember, this is exactly how the Jews felt before the Babylonian captivity, right? I mean, they thought they were protected from anything. And everything. They never thought Jerusalem would ever fall. That they were, they were, you know, untouchable. But then they were invaded by Babylon. <coughs> Taken captive. Dispersed throughout the Babylonian Empire. They weren't worried at all. But then they learned the reality of Proverbs 29.1. There again, one who is often reproved, yet remains stubborn, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Daniel chapter 5 is King Belshazzar's lesson about Proverbs 29.1. Like I say, it happened on October 12, 539 B.C. That was the day the army surrounded the city. And then they diverted the river Euphrates... ran under the gate and they came in through the river channel and they took the city. The king never saw that coming. One of the greatest empires the world has ever known, ever, fell while the king and all of his leaders were, were drunk at a party. 
So the king threw this party, not because he was ignorant of the army out there, uh, but because he knew they were there. It was flagrant. He, he just he wasn't worried at all, wouldn't, couldn't be bothered. Nothing bad's going to happen. It's no deal. Babylon. Babylon had been God's instrument to punish Israel when God's children had gone too far. But on October 12, 539 B.C., God had enough of Babylon's sin, is the point. One who was often reproved, yet remains stubborn, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Listen to the beginning of the story from Daniel, Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great festival for a thousand of his lords. And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. And under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar commanded they bring in the vessels of gold and silver that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the vessels of gold and silver that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the kings and the lords and the wives and the concubines drank from them. They drank this wine and they praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. So this massive army encamped outside, just circling the cities, and he throws a banquet. In Aramaic, it's very, very clear here that the king drank a lot of wine that day. So 60 years back, 60 years, Babylon had conquered Jerusalem. And then they carted off all the treasures from the city. And that included these gold and these silver chalices, is the point, that had been consecrated for, for worship, worshiping Yahweh. And then they were stored in, somewhere in the basement in the city's treasury, you know, for all of those years. Until October 12th while this army is camped outside and, and this drunken king wants to impress everyone how Babylon, always victorious, always safe. We're untouchable. Just don't worry about them, right? And at some point, the king remembered his grandfather had taken those holy vessels, the gold and silver goblets, and they, when they conquered Jerusalem. And so he orders the servants... Go get them. And, and Scripture tells us that it's not only it's, it's the lords, the wives, and the concubines. And, and they all drink their wine from these vessels. And I'll tell you, we can read into this. It's very safe to read into this to safely say this party became a drunken orgy. Because in that culture, the wives and the concubines, they, they would never have been part of, you know... A, Describing a feast, unless that's where it went. That was the intent. So the vessels that were set aside for worshiping Israel's God, Yahweh. The king used these vessels as part of a drunken orgy. A feast that was given to praise the pagan gods. That was just too much. I mean, God had too much. Proverbs 29, 1, about to catch up with him. So Daniel 5, 5 through 9, 
says, immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the wall of the royal palace next to the lampstand. And the king was watching the hand as it wrote. And the king's face turned pale, and his thoughts terrified him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Aside, I think this is actually the first, the first um, historical account of somebody's knees knocking together. <laughs> and the king cried aloud to bring in the enchanters and the Chaldeans and the diviners. And the king said to the wise men of Babylon, whoever can read this writing and tell me its interpretation shall be clothed in purple and have chains of gold around his neck and rank third in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came and they could not read the writing or tell the king the interpretation. King Belshazzar became greatly terrified. His face turned pale. The lords were perplexed. Now, if you've been following along the last couple weeks, as we've been going through Daniel, you know, you know, basically every single story we've read so far has had kind of the same plot, right? I mean, every chapter goes like this. There is a revelation from God. You know, something happens, revelation from God, king's afraid, doesn't understand it at all, his counselors all fail to understand, they don't get it, and so then they call in God's servant, Daniel, or, or his friends in one chapter, and, and then he explains everything, and then, you know, God ends up being praised. That's like every single chapter so far. In Proverbs 29 terms here, the king, the king is reproved. And then the king listens. And then the king, he, he realizes the error of his ways. He recognizes the error of his ways. And he has a change of heart. And he changes everything. And then it all ends up okay, right? I mean, that's been every single chapter that we've looked at so far in Daniel. All of these stories, every one of them, they pretty much end the same way. God is active within creation is what we're supposed to read. And, and God speaks through other people. And God cares. And if you listen when you are messing up to the ways God calls you, pulls you back, if you change your behavior, you're going to be okay. Pretty much that's every story in, in Daniel so far. This story, I mean, every one of them, the opposite of Proverbs 29 is what I'm saying. But in chapter 5, new king in town. God speaks big time. There's a massive crisis. An army is encircled around the city. The king couldn't be bothered. He didn't listen. He throws a party. Then in this drunken stupor, the king remembers his grandfather taking these holy vessels when they conquered the temple in Jerusalem. And he remembers where they were stored 60 years back, but he forgot all of the lessons that Babylon had learned in the interim. Proverbs 29.1, one who is often reproved, yet remains stubborn, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Daniel 5.10-12, the queen, when she heard the discussion of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen said, O king, live forever. This kind of reminds me of Shakespeare, honestly. Uh, Do not let your thoughts terrify you or your face grow pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, he was found to have enlightenment and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. And your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief of the magicians and the chanters and the Chaldeans and the diviners. 
because he had an excellent spirit. Knowledge, understanding to interpret dreams, uh, explain riddles, solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he'll give the interpretation. So this, this is a story of just a complete failure to remember the reality of God's presence and to look back and just forget how God had been at work. And we've seen this time and time and time again. God comes. God saves the day for the king. Remember, who had invaded Babylon in the first place, the king who had taken away his special people. I mean, so far, every single story in Daniel, the story of God's amazing grace, the king who was who did all this stuff, was forgiven time and time again. The king, at the end of these stories, he made sure the entire kingdom knew about it. He would praise Israel's God over and over and over again. But this new king, his grandson, just ignored all that. He knew the stories. But he couldn't be bothered. One who's often approved, yet remains stubborn will suddenly be broken beyond healing. We need to learn from this story. Because how often does God work in our lives? And we know it at the time. But then we just kind of forget. At first, it is all, go God! I mean, God did this thing for me. And then something, you know, we praise Him at the time. But then we start to think about it, and it gets in the past, and we intellectualize it, and we rationalize it, and pretty quick, we're back to doing the exact same thing over and over and over again. We're worshiping the same idols. Our behavior never changes. Usually, we're the idol that we're worshiping, right? When it gets to that point. God had enough. God reached his limit. So the queen, most likely Nebuchadnezzar's wife, uh, it would be Belshazzar's grandmother, she remembered. And at first it sounds like the king didn't even know who Daniel was. And, and we find out later as the story progresses, he, he knows darn well. But he just never listened to any of those stories. He never learned from those stories. So Daniel... 5, 18 through 28, Daniel comes and he starts explaining the handwriting on the wall. O king, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar kingship, greatness, glory, majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared. And he killed those who he wanted to kill. And he kept alive those he wanted to keep alive. Honored those who he wanted to honor. Degraded those whom he wanted to degrade. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he actually proudly, he was acted proudly, he was disposed from his kingly throne and his glory was stripped from him. And he was driven from human society. We talked about this last week. And his mind was made like that of an animal. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. It's great when I can stand in front of church and say, the wild asses. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday. 
And he was fed grass like oxen, and his body was bathed in his dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals. And he sets over it whomever he will set over it. Then he says, and you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled your heart. Even though you knew all of this, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of his temple you have brought in before you, and your lords and your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and stone who did not see or hear or know, but the God in whose power is your very breath to whom belong all of your ways you have not honored. So from his presence, this hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, parsin. This is the interpretation. Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Many is like Aramaic for numbered. Tekel, that's like a weighing, uh, means to weigh something. And Daniel says, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Perez is a division. So he says, and Perez, your kingdom is divided, given to the Medes and the Persians. And sure enough, the end, and it's also Perez's, uh, there's so much other stuff we're skipping, but Perez is kind of like Medes and Persians put together in Aramaic. But sure enough, he says, at the end of chapter 5, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. Darius Mede received the kingdom about 62 years old. So on October 12, 539 B.C., Proverbs 29 caught up with this king, one who is often reproved, yet remains stubborn, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Belshazzar was judged and found guilty. And it wasn't his overindulgence. I, I, I want to break this down. Although, you know, the indifference, throwing this drunken orgy, as opposing armies or just outside the city, that's a really stupid thing for a king to do, right? I mean, that's just bad judgment. I don't even think that God's last straw was when the king was ignoring those warning signs as much as it was. I don't even think it was forgetting God's work in the past because we saw God time and time again forgiving throughout Daniel. I mean, every single chapter is basically the same story of God's amazing grace for this foreign king up until this point. God calls, God warns, ruler doesn't understand, he's afraid, the local magicians, they can't answer it, they fail, Daniel comes, explains, and king turns to God, everything's good up until now. But this time, it's different. God spoke to the prophet but it wasn't as much a warning as a pronouncement of judgment this time. Why? King went too far. I think the biggest lesson of chapter 5 has to do with the way the king treated these vessels. They had been set aside. They were made for God's holy work. But the king profaned them and used them for a drunken orgy for pagan gods. 
And that was stepping over the line. That was too much. Why? Because the king profaned what was set aside to be holy. God had limits. There's different ways that you can translate this word. And NIV will say goblets. King James used vessels, RSV, NRSV, they kept the word vessels. And, and actually, it's a, it's a more accurate translation, but also the meaning, I think, has more for us if we let it speak to our hearts. Because right here, right now, we have a room full of vessels that have been set aside for God's holy purposes. Your bodies are God's vessels, right? You have been set aside for God's holy purposes. And we're living in a world that is actively trying to profane your vessels in a million different ways. Babylon wants to turn you into Babylonians. And it's trying very hard to suck you in and water down your beliefs. It wants to soften your grip and to lower your guard so you're susceptible. Lower your standards on what's right and what's wrong. You know, Babylon is so real and it's trying to confuse you. It's trying to twist what you think is okay, what is acceptable. It wants to move your attention away from the fact that our bodies are holy vessels. Babylon will tell you it's about your spirits. You know, your body's evil. That's Plato. That is not the God of Jesus Christ. God gave you a body. It is a gift from God. Part of our spirituality should be the way we treat our bodies. I mean, so often in his letters, you know, Paul will call Christians saints, if you've noticed. And we've lost this term. And we think of saints as these great legends that have gone on before. Like St. Paul, but like St. Teresa, you know. But in the Bible, those who have a relationship with God, they're saints. Literally means those who are holy. And they're holy not because of what they do, but because of their relationship with God. In the New Testament, when you come across the word saint, it, it always it translates back to this Greek term that means the holy ones. And it's meant to distinguish followers of Jesus from non-followers. But here's the thing. It's the exact same thing as these vessels that Daniel says were set aside for God's holy purposes, but then they were made profane by the king. And I just want to know, saints, how are we treating our bodies? Really? Are we taking care of them? What are we putting into them? Are we treating them as holy? Are we profaning what God has set aside for his purposes? Discipleship should include every aspect of your life. I mean, including the way you treat your body. Christ wants to be Lord of your entire life. Not just parts, not just the spiritual parts. 
I think this is so important. You know, a couple weeks ago we had a conversation with staff and then it carried over into the board the, the next week. How often do we say, you know, God, you can have my life. You can have my heart. I'll be a Christian husband and I'll be a Christian father and I'll spend time every day studying your word and I will pray and I will serve you. You can have everything, God, everything I have is yours, but stay out of my wallet. I'm going to be the Lord of that. You know, we spend more time, more, more money on Starbucks than, than we do giving to God. Christianity is not just head. It's heart. And it's our hands. And it's, frankly, our credit card as well. I mean, it, it, every single place in your life setting Jesus as Lord. And that includes how we treat our bodies. I think this is so important. You know, Jesus wants to be Lord of everything. If he's not Lord of everything, is he really Lord of anything? You can't compartmentalize your spirituality, is the point. It's all or nothing. And it's easy to make Christianity an intellectual exercise. And we've done well at that the last couple hundred years, I think. You know, it's not about study. It's not about memorization. I mean, that's how you prep for a test in school. You know, Christians, Christians, we love to argue about what it means to be saved by faith through grace. And, and we love to be, argue about the right way to baptize people. Or we love to argue what communion really means and what's the right way to practice communion. You know, Jesus never addressed one of those things. Not a priority for him. But what about life in the trenches? And realizing Babylon is real. And it's trying to get you to water down your faith little by little by little. It's trying to get you to change your ethics, lower your moral standards. Obviously, this story has to do with sexual purity. And, and the chapter begins with the drunken orgy. You know, sex is a holy, sacred gift. And it's so easy to profane in our world. And my knee-jerk for this message, honestly, was just talk about sexual purity so we can point our fingers at all the sinners out there. <laughs> I think a better message for the saints this morning, warning how Babylon wants to lower your standards, immerse you, surround you with images that never would have been appropriate for a generation or two back, there is an army outside the castle walls. And they're looking for a way to come in and take over. Don't get caught off guard. We need to realize how easy it is for Babylon to pull us in. Little by little, our standards, our morals, they're just washing away. And we may not participate in drunken orgies. But if you watch much TV or movies, I mean, what is appropriate erodes little by little by little. And then you move to the internet. And pretty soon the line between what is right and what is wrong has moved so far away that you, you, you might as well just be in a drunken orgy. But it's not about sex. How you take care of that holy vessel matters to God. What about lack of rest, lack of sleep? 
what you eat, exercise. I mean, those things matter. Are you treating your vessel as holy? When you fail to take care of your body, I think we're profaning what God has set aside to be holy. Babylon's trying to change us, and it wants to desensitize us, to water down, to pull us away. But we're residents of King Jesus' kingdom. We live right smack in the midst of Babylon. And it's trying to get us to change our allegiance. So today's chapter from Daniel reminds us there is a line. And there will be a day we'll be held accountable. How does God speak to you through this chapter? Has God been trying to speak to you? I mean, has God tried to speak? And you're remaining stubborn. And you need to sit in Proverbs 29. Don't find yourself as a case study of Proverbs 29. You need to turn your heart before you're broken beyond healing. But I think the bigger, bigger thing for all of us, we need to be reminded. Everything reminds, belongs to God. It all matters to God. We can't compartmentalize our spirituality into just a couple pieces of pie. Everything comes from God. Your spirit, your body, your life. It's all a gift, right? We can't separate them. But unlike the king, we can turn back. We can recognize, we can listen and we can change our lives. It starts today. We pray with me. Lord, I thank you on this day for new beginnings. I thank you that as far away as we find ourselves, you still call us. Lord, give us the strength to hear And give us the wisdom to listen and to turn to you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.